I don't know about you, but I'm having fun with this. <laughs> so last week we started a new series, hashtag relationship goals. And um, we showed a few memes last weekend uh, with the hashtag. Um, and if we're ready, I'm ready for that first one. Um, it's gonna take a second. <laughs> All right, we'll skip it. Um, let me see where we're at. I'm gonna tell you the book that uh, I'm gonna, um, gonna be used, that I've been using for the purpose of outlining the content for this series. It's, it's by an author by the name of Ben Stewart. And the title is Single Dating, Engaged, Married, Navigating Life and Love in the Modern Age. And so he's put a lot of, of thought and research and scripture into this book, and I highly recommend it if you're digging this series and if you want to go deeper. Um, that's kind of where I'm, I'm getting my content from. Um, let's just open up with prayer this morning. Father God, I thank you for this time, and we just ask that you would bless us. God, there's, there's so much that we can learn together, and, and God, when you're in the house, God, we want to leave different as a result. Of, of meeting with you and gathering in this place together. So God, just uh, reveal yourself today. Uh, we want to hear from you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, so there are a wide variety of emotional experiences that happen when I stand in a room full of people like this and say, we're going to talk about relationships. Um, we're going to talk about romance. We're going we're gonna to talk about dating. There are some of you that might get excited. There may also be some audible groaning when I say that. So what's going on there? Right? Well, first, first of all, some of us, when we talk about this, there's anticipation and there's excitement because they're sitting next to someone with some potential, right? And, and so they're excited to be talking about this. Some people, this is their favorite thing in the whole world to talk about. They're like, he's talking about us, baby. And so he's talking about love. So I'm so glad we're finally talking about love. I wish we could do a million sermons on love. <laughs> and But for others of us, it brings up anxiety because dating in the modern world has gotten very confusing. And so when we say, let's talk about dating, the anxiety levels come up. I don't understand, you know, what we're supposed to even do anymore. How do I, how do I even do this? Am I supposed to call someone that I'm interested in? Does anyone even call anymore? <laughs> you know, do I text them? Is that too informal? Uh, do I say, let's hang out? Is that too vague? Do I ask them out on a date? Is that too intense? What do I do? Right? And so we, we have no idea how to treat each other. And all the normal scripts, it seems like, are gone. Back in the day, if a guy was interested in a girl, he would just show up at her house and come sit in the parlor and play the piano and hang out with mom and dad. <laughs> and so if you're like, dating is hard, yeah, it, it can definitely be that way for a lot of us. Relationships can be messy. And so we're going to talk about dating today. And if you're married in here, and if you're like, oh good, he's not going to convict me this morning, let me just say this. Biblical principles in general apply to every stage and season of our lives, and I think you're going to see some of that for you today. And I also think it's good for us to hear about the struggles of our brothers and sisters in different stages of life, because that's what a family does. We care about each other when we're in different stages, right? And we want to see each other grow. And this isn't an organization, this is a family. And so it's good to care about and emphasize with one another. And we could use some empathy in our world. Anybody say amen to that? So, so what, do we, what do we know today? 
Typically, and I'm not going to belabor this, but we talked about this a little bit last week, but the vast majority of Americans that are single, they want to be married. There's nothing wrong with being single, but just talk, talking data right now, some of the most rigorous and reliable studies around today of young people in America put the number in the high 90% of wanting to be married. And statistically, although less are actually getting married and we're getting married later, the majority still get married. And yet this generation is taking longer to get married than any generation in recorded human history. And why is that? Well, there's a lot of guesses. And for some, it's likely the fear of divorce. I, I don't want to mess up marriage. I've seen it done poorly, and I'm scared to do that myself. Um, others, it's not the fear of that. It's the fear of marriage messing them up. You know, I've got some career goals. I've got some things, you know, that I'm trying to accomplish, and, and I don't want to derail that. Um, for other people, it's confusion about communication. I don't know what the rules are anymore, and you know how do we interact with one another? And so the advent of the iPhone has changed the way that we've talked with each other as a community in general, and increasingly, screen time has increased the general awkwardness among us. And all of the studies that we're watching now see a drastic decrease in time socializing and hanging out with people face to face. And so even when we are together, we're not as sure at how to even have conversations because there's less time hanging out with people, means less connections, means less dates, which means less marriages. It makes sense, right? And so that's impacting us. The increase of pornography and the widespread availability of that has done that as well. Many studies are showing that prolonged exposure to pornography leads to cynical views about love um, and affection and marriage. And so there's a lot of things that are making this challenging. And what bothers me and the reason why I want to talk about this is because I'm watching too many of us struggle. And uh, so we've got to figure out how to navigate this well. And some of you go, well, well, Sean, um, are you advocating that we should all get rid of our phones and get rid of our screens and, you know, just move out in the country somewhere and, you know, uh, sew our own clothes and churn our own butter and, you know, way, like way back then. So, the, 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 honestly, I'm not talking about, you know, there was some ideal time or, or way back when. There's not. And yet, here's, here's the reality in the uncertainties of relationships. There are fixed stars that we can navigate by. And um, some of you know the story, Steve Callahan was lost at sea, 76 days in a little uh, rubber life raft. And he was starving to death out there. And, um, but he put some pencils together and he made a little tool called a sextant, which is a nautical tool that you can use to find your bearings based on the distance between the sun and the horizon and his understanding of the sun. So fixed realities about the universe helped him paddle in the right direction and the right current and find that. And then he floated gently to an island where he survived. And for us, whether you are in the tumultuous seas of relationships, there are fixed realities about who God is, right? And how he made the world and how we're supposed to treat one another. And, and that if you can understand those, you can navigate the seas no matter how they change. And so how do we do it? 
Last week, we talked about singleness, if you were here, that, that singleness is a gift of God, and everybody, every human being comes into the world single, that God ordained a season to secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord, that you and I are made not just by God, but for God. We were made for him, that in his presence is fullness of joy, that you will be restless until you rest in him. And so your singleness is about pursuing a devotion to the Lord, Paul Paul says, I forget what's behind and straining towards what's ahead. I reach the upward call of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Right. And so you were made to know God. And, and, and that relationship is the lead story. It's the headline of our lives. So first, you've got to get a relationship with God right before you ever get a relationship with a guy or girl. Right. We really hammered that last week. And, and so I won't do it again. But that's the first thing. Uh, so how does this happen? We all make a decision. I'm going to pursue the Lord. And, and most people statistically want to get married. And statistically, most people will. But the distance between singleness and marriage is a pathway. And, and in our modern context, that, that pathway is dating. And so singleness, last week we talked about, is about devotion. Dating is about evaluation. If you're taking notes this morning, we've got a place for you to do that on the backside of your bulletins. Dating is about evaluation. Who am I supposed to run with through the rest of my days? Dating exists for evaluation. It's not a status that we sit in, but it's a process that we move through. And, and we'll talk more about that next week. But the reality is dating is a process to evaluate. Do I want to grip hands with you and run into the forever that God has for us? That's the question you're asking. Is this the person that I want to run with for the rest of my days? I don't look into their eyes to make my soul complete, but I, but I grab hands with them and I run into God's presence. And, and so for me, that's what dating is meant to do. And so different cultures and different times have gone through that process of evaluation in different ways. So, so people, um, and some, some people, their parents have guided that process. There's been some times in some parts of our culture where the, where the church has really helped guide that. You know, you come to church and they say, ring by spring or your money back. Um, now, now, let's go back to that, right? Um, nowadays, what it looks culturally like is dating. And so let me say, let me just say, this isn't going to be a talk on how to get a date. So sorry if that's what you're looking for. And here's the reason for that. Anybody can get a date. Anybody can get married if you set your standards low enough. Am I right? <laughs> and, and so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how do you meet the right person in the right way? Because that's a little bit more difficult. And that's what's important. And that's what's valuable to us. How do I meet the right person in the right way? Dating is a process of evaluating who is this person, this person that I'm meant to run with as I chase after the purposes of God. That's a who question. So, you know, what kind of person should I be looking for? What qualities should I value in a human being that I run with? You naturally ask the who questions, and then you ask the how question. How do I meet that kind of a person? What process do I go through? What system? How do we, do we map this out? And let me just say, can I just say this? The who is more important than the how. 
The who is more important. You can really mess up the how, but if you end up with the right who, you still win, right? <laughs> right? So if you're pretty good at the how, but you get the wrong who, you still lose. <laughs> you lose. And so now we need the how because it helps us get to the who. Am I just making a lot of confusing everybody? But we've got to start with the who. And that's where we are today. So does that make sense? We're starting with the conversation who this morning. Now, one last caveat. Some people will look at that and they'll say, well, Sean, the Bible doesn't talk about dating. You're talking about biblical dating. The Bible doesn't talk about dating. And you're right. You know, there's no verse like, and Moses took Zephora's son to Chili's. You know, there's nothing like that that I've seen in Scripture. That's not there. But the Bible says a lot about evaluation. It says a lot. See in the book of Proverbs, which is written to the young people, it says it's better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And so this was written to the single guy saying, watch her, evaluate her. You take a seat on top of the roof and have, a, have a, this, this watch for a while. That's what he's saying. Is, is she always arguing with people? Does she always have some kind of beef with her roommates? Is there, you know, drama there? I don't know if, if you want to stack that into your life, bro. <laughs> it's kind of the conversation that's happening there because you'll never have peace in your home. So evaluate the other person's life before you make that decision. Or, ladies, Proverbs uh, 25 verse 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Lady, does the guy have a temper? Does, you know, does, does he bully his roommates? Is he a jerk? Is he rude to the waitress and the waiter? Um, let me tell you something. You'll never feel safe with him. You'll never feel safe. Walls are to protect a city, Right? And so is that guy prone to anger and violence? Does he have a short temper? Does he enter, you know, you, you won't want to enter into a home with that guy because you'll, you'll have a fear. You'll never feel safe. Be careful. The Bible is filled with texts about evaluation. And so let me talk a bit about some ways that we're doing it now as a culture that I don't think maybe we're meant to. And then we'll talk about what we're meant to look for and who we're meant to look for. Does that sound good? I think one of my concerns about um, the, the, the process and the culture in the world today, the way that we do this, is when we look for people, we tend to take on a consumer mentality, right? Rather than a companion one. It's a consumer mentality versus a companion one. We, we say, I want to find someone that is right for me, right? And I know um, some ministers are against the whole concept of dating. I'm not. There was, there was a whole... A book and a movement, the I Kiss Dating Goodbye movement when I was growing up that I actually don't think was very helpful. In fact, um, the author has actually retracted of much of what he's written in that book. He's actually retracted his faith uh, since he's written the book. Um, if you're not aware, uh, but, the, but the Bible says, what does the Bible say? Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing, right? And so it's, it's not just that marriage is a valuable thing. It's the finding of a wife or a life partner that is a good thing. The finding is valuable. And so I'm not anti-dating, but when you date somebody, do it with purpose, right? Do it with purpose. So some people um, are also against the term soulmate. And I don't care so much either way. What matters is the definition you put to that word. And, and so if, if you mean someone that, can, that you can share the deep things in your soul as you journey through life together, I'm all for it. 
If you mean I'm trying to meet someone in whose eyes I become complete, you know, you lead me to a, to, to a higher state of bliss, you know, if that's what you're saying, a person to fill up every vacancy, um, and they're, 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 I'm, not, I'm not for that. There's, there's, all, there's all kinds of people that, that will put this weight on a person or, or, or people to, to be what only God can be in your life. And, and when you look for a guy or a girl to be what only God can be, you're setting up everybody in that relationship for failure. Relationships can't handle that kind of weight. And so some people, when they say soulmate, what they really mean is a savior. Uh, you know, save me from my life and be the answer to my problems. You know, you complete me. A human being isn't meant to save you. There's only one person that can do that. There's only one savior, right? And so other, other people think, you know, when they think about marriage, they say, I just want someone who will serve me. I've got ambitions. I've got, you know, and I need somebody to come along and just do what I want and clean up what I want and fix me what I want. And so I can get there. And so some people, when they're looking for a mate, they mean somebody that will serve me and give me all that I want. And you know what? Just, just for clarity here, you're not looking for a savior when you date, and you're not looking for a servant, okay? You're looking for a companion for life. And so my concern for many of us, Peter says, that you're looking for a co-heir in the grace of life, not some robot that just fulfills my needs. But I'm looking for someone who has different ideas and different thoughts, you know, as we converse with one another. Iron sharpens iron, that whole scripture, right? I become a better person because I, I learned how to sacrifice. I learned how to be more selfless um, through my relationship with Deanna. And, and so I gained virtue as a result of being in this bond with her. That's what you want, right? Somebody that will help you grow and become a better person. And so the consumer mentality is dangerous. You can run into a lot of people that when you ask them, who do you want to marry, they'll start listing off some characteristics, right? And they'll start asking, you know, well, I want them to be tall, but not too tall. <laughs> you know, they, and, and this, they'll go down the list, you know what I mean? But definitely taller than me, you know, right about, you know, six foot. And I want them to be attractive, but I, I really don't want him to be all about his looks, you know. Uh, I just want him to be ruggedly handsome, um, you know, so, a little bit like Ryan Gosling. I just want him to look like Ryan Gosling. <laughs> and I want him to work out, but not be, you know, like obsessed with working out, always looking in the mirror. I, you know, but he's got to have a six pack. That's kind of standard. And, and I want him to be funny, but not always joking because he's got to be serious with me. Um, you know, like Ryan Reynolds. I want him, I want him to be like Ryan Reynolds and I need him to have money, not like Zuckerberg money, but you know, maybe Dwayne The Rock Johnson money. He needs to have that. And you know, <laughs> we start to assemble an ideal human on a list. And, but here's the problem. What you've done is you've created a fantasy person and then you compare it with reality. And listen, in a lot of cases, actual humans next to your fantasy person characteristics do not exist. And so when we do that, let me just say it this way. It's a great way to order a hamburger, but we simply don't get to assemble people. God assembles people. And so you don't get to come in with, here's my list of non-negotiables about their outward characteristics. There, that's a dangerous way to even enter the process for a couple of reasons. Number one is that it creates unrealistic expectations that no one can live up to. And so with so much uh, screen time, as we look at people over and over again on screens, it's just become part of a culture that, that the images have been doctored and curated and cleaned up. It presents a version of life that when you hang out in real life, people didn't even really look like that. And so 
there are some obvious examples. There was a story about Lady Gaga on the cover of Vogue. Uh, and, and you can see that's her in person up on the screen there um, at the Photoshop and uh, uh, the Photoshop one in the middle where it's been, the image has been cleaned up and refined. And, and in, so in, in the middle is what the cover looked like at the end. And you go, you know, that's, you're presenting a version of a woman that doesn't really exist. And the story was, you know, this is, this is our world and this is, this is what we're doing. It was, it was a good piece. It was a good story. And, but here's the thing. We get undated, inundated with hundreds of thousands of images a day and it begins to set an unrealistic expectation. And then we put real people up against that and you can't do it. It's just not fair. And, and so you wouldn't want someone to do that to you, and we're not meant to do that to other people. It can create unrealistic expectations. So I think the second reason why the consumer mentality is bad is that it's built off the faulty assumption that you actually know what you want. <laughs> um, it, this is really interesting. Um, Dan Slater... He wrote a book um, on the history of online dating entitled Love in the Time of Algorithms. And what he found was, he says, in the early days of dating apps and dating websites, that there were algorithms that would match you with the preferences. You know, we're going to put you in this perfect match, and so we get your preferences, they list theirs, and then we match you. Um, but what they found as they were doing that were many of the people that, were, that, that you know, got the, their perfect match never made it past the first date. And, and so these companies are trying to figure out what was wrong with the algorithm and they hired a professional to analyze their algorithms. How can we keep telling people through our data and through all this process, you know, that we're going to match them perfectly and we get a perfect match and they never make it past the first date. What's going on? So they did all this research and all this study and they paid them all this money. And at the end of it, they discovered there's nothing wrong with the algorithm. You know what they discovered? The problem was with the people. <laughs> people tell you what they want, and then do you know what they found? What they found was that there was absolutely no correlation between what they said that they wanted and who they actually wound up with. Almost zero. Zero correlation for a very high percentage of them. I have a friend, a good friend of them. Some of you have been around long enough. You remember Pastor Brent sharing this story. Um, Jeremiah Paul used to play with us on the worship team. He, he did the whole dating thing, did the evaluation, went through the process, and his sister came up as his perfect match. <laughs> I don't think they made it past the first date. Um, <laughs> and, and you know... So probably some of you have seen this, all the guys that say, you know, I want a girl who's wild and crazy and has a bunch of, you know, tattoos or whatever. And, and when they, when, and then they marry this sweet, you know, introverted girl that's never kissed a boy before. And, you know, love is a weird thing. You don't know. And so saying, well, I'm going to curate this process. You don't know what you want. <laughs> and so here's the interesting thing with online dating. They started to realize that all these algorithms were a waste of money. So they stopped doing it. And so what happens well now they've simplified the process with the apps that they have now and they'll say well let's just evaluate each other based on two criteria your looks and how witty you can be in a short little byline right and so they just kind of diminished it down to beauty and charm and what's interesting there's a verse that in the scripture that talks about this right this is another scary thing about the consumer mentality if that's the basis on which a relationship starts those are the absolute flimsiest parts of a relationship. Proverbs 31, 30 says, charm is deceitful 
and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Right? So charm is deceitful. Anybody can fake that <laughs> for a date. Right? They can be put together in an hour-long interview at Chili's. That's why often one-on-one -on -one dating, when we're just sitting at a restaurant asking questions, you don't really get to know what that person is like that way. It's actually better to, to be with them in community for a while and how they treat people and, and, and that they're not attracted to. Right? And so charm is deceitful. I mean, think about the news, wh whether they're interviewing the neighbor of a serial killer. What is, what is the, all the conversation that always happens? Well, I seem like such a nice guy, right? He seemed like such a nice guy. Be careful because you cannot judge a book by its cover. Beauty is vain. Beauty fades. Beauty goes away. It's a vapor and then it's done. So if you start a relationship and try to build it on whether somebody's funny or charming or whether they're beautiful, listen, it's going to fade. It's going to fade. Charm goes away. You don't want to build a relationship on that. But what happens if you get hurt? What happens if you get injured? What happens if you um, get injured for a couple of years, you can't really work out? And if beauty was the standard of your relationship, you're in trouble. And, and when the hardship of life comes, you don't need somebody that's cute. You need somebody that's faithful. You need a relationship built on sterner stuff. Do you see that? So what should we look for? Let's get to that because this is the good stuff this morning. Let me give you some, some things that I think will help us as we think about who we're meant to run with uh, through life. And again, if you're married, you can evaluate yourself based on these because these don't really change. Um, this is the who that we're supposed to run with. And I would say the first thing that you need to look for before you even begin to entertain going on a date with someone is you need to look for someone who's committed to the same cause. They're running in the same lane. It's, it's interesting, the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, the chapter with the most words dedicated to it is about one thing. It's about Abraham finding a wife for his son Isaac. And I think, you know, that should mean something to us. I mean, the book kind of flies through the creation of the world and the creation of the entire universe, the origin of evil, it kind of zooming past all of that, and then it slows down to talk about your relationships. And so if you think that God doesn't care about your longing to be married, wrong, read the first book. Um, there, he cares a lot about it and it's valuable to him. So, and yet it's interesting, in that day, it was common for the father to lead the charge uh, in helping the son find a wife, but Abraham, he looks to a servant. And so in Genesis 24, and really he, he really, he just gives him one instruction, if you read this, and we'll read it together. It says, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. That was uh, an important way to, to basically swear a covenant, that I may make you swear by the Lord and God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. He, he really gives him one command. My son can't marry a Canaanite. And this wasn't an ethnic decision, by the way. Um, what he was looking at uh, there is the, the people that we live among and have no allegiance to, the God that I serve, that I've been walking by, you know, through faith, through all of Genesis, that I am a man of faith and I am trusting in God and my family. Um, therefore, I want to be a family of faith. And so as you're looking around, who's going to link up with my son? They got to have that same allegiance. They got to have that. They got to be running that same way. And so... Here's the thing, because your allegiance determines what you value. 
And your values will shape your goals. And your goals will shape your decisions. And your decisions will shape your life. And so A.W. Tozer used to say this, the most important thing about somebody is what they believe about God. And it's such a you know, cool kind of byline for, for pastors to say, but what does it mean? What I realized is that who you think ultimately runs this thing is who determines your values, right? And what you think is valuable and what you think is valid determines what you chase, your goals. And your goals will influence your decisions, and your decisions will make your life. And so, therefore, you link up your life with someone. You need to look at where they're going. You need to look at what direction they're going. And Abraham said, I need a woman who says, I'm following the Lord, and I want to chase after him, and I'm running after him. That's the kind of person that you want. Paul says it very clearly, 2 Corinthians 6. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, he's not just talking about dating. He's not just talking about romantic relationships there. He's talking about your closest friendships. And so he says, don't be unequally yoked. And, you know, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 22, an Old Testament book, um, when he's talking about a farming term, which many of you probably know what a yoke is. You've seen the pictures, um, like this one up on the screen. Um, it's when you would put a big wooden bar with metal beams around the necks of two animals, and they would go together and pull it to till the soil, right? And what you would do is you would need to make sure that you get animals that match. Because if you don't, if you get a big bull with a little donkey, what's going to happen? It's going to go in circles, right? You're going to end up going nowhere. And you're not going to have a very efficient process. They're going to have different goals. They're going to go different directions. It's going to be a frustrating process. So if you're going to yoke them together, make sure they're similar. Get them going in the same direction. And Paul here ties that to our most intimate relationships. Now, is he saying that Christians shouldn't hang out with people who don't believe in Jesus? No. Um, Abraham had friends that weren't believers. Um, Paul, we, we've seen this just recently as we've gone through this series, was constantly reaching out and engaging in cities where people didn't have faith. And so the Christian is meant to be in the culture. The, the Christian is meant to have friends who do not have an allegiance to Jesus. We're meant to be a part of the city and seek the peace of the city. And, and Paul is talking about, he's, what he's talking about here is he says, in your most intimate relationships, who are you bound with? Um, you want it to be with people who are chasing the same cause and going the same direction as you. I'm going to ask Bella and Zion to come up here to the stage to illustrate uh, this for me. And I've got a pair of handcuffs here this morning. Um, <laughs> so Bella, um, you stand here, look towards the crowd, give me your arm, please. Um, this is going to be really fun. <laughs> and you give me your hand right here. And so, this is, uh, we're binding them together. Let's, we're going to pretend that they're in relationship this morning. Sorry, Tegan. <laughs> and um, so when you're dating somebody, the idea of dating is that you're trying to evaluate, do I want to bind my life together forever with this person, right? And so, and let's just say one person says, my allegiance is to the Lord, and she starts going over here. What happens with this guy right here? Is there some tension right here in the relationship, right? And she says, I want to serve the Lord. I'm going to give him all my life, and I'm going to chase after him, and I'm going to go after him with everything that I've got. What, what, what happens? And he's, but he doesn't have that allegiance. Where's his allegiance? His, his, his allegiance is going to be after that. His allegiance might be chasing after money, chasing after fame. What are you going after, Zion? 
<laughs> so, um, you know, something else. Maybe it's a career pursuit. You know, maybe it's money. Maybe it's financial success. But he's not pursuing what she's pursuing. But if the two of you bind your lives together because, you know, well, you're cute or you're good looking or you're funny, you know, and then you start pulling in different, diff- different directions because of the big life decisions, you know, and you get married, then you start making decisions in your life. You're going to go different directions. What's going to happen? There's a couple things that's going to happen. You know, whoever's, you know, the, the strongest person personality starts to drag the other person, right? And let me tell you something. It's no fun to be dragged. And it's no fun to drag either, right? And and so if you're not a believer in Jesus and you marry somebody who is, they will take you to meetings that you don't want to go to. (laughs) Uh, You know, or maybe the unbeliever will be the stronger personality and you'll begin to compromise and and you won't be a part of all that God's called you to be. Or or you'll say we're bound together. But as you both pursue, you know, what God has for you and his purposes for you, then you're going to be running together in the same direction and you'll be pulling each other in the same direction. Does that make sense? You want to be bound with somebody that's going in the same direction. I talk to people sometimes and they're like, you know, well, the guy I'm dating, you know, believes in God. Is that good? And, you know, listen, variety is great. You know, like I like the arts, you know, he likes sports. That's fine, right? Sure. But on the biggest decisions in life, the most foundational principles of existence don't search for the irreducible minimum. Don't go down to, you know, the very least thing when you, when, you, when you come down to this because you're supposed to be tied with him. You know, well, he says, and he's an agnostic, so there's hope, you know. No, you want someone that you know we both believe in God. We're both pursuing the things of God. My life is for God and for his purposes, and I put my faith in him, and he's filled me with Holy Spirit, and he's filled him with the Holy Spirit, and I am the very workmanship of God, and so he's given me a job to do that he prepared for me beforehand that I would walk in them awesome so let's run together in his purposes right so a a pastor by the name of Tommy Nelson says it this way the loneliness of singleness will not be assuaged by the loneliness in a king-sized bed laying next to someone who cannot speak to you about the deepest things in life don't settle bind yourself with someone who is running in the same lane and in the same direction at the same time can we say thank you to these guys Uh, I didn't bring the keys, so good luck running together. (laughs) Oh, you got to take her out too. So you want him, thank you guys, thank you, appreciate it. You want him to be chasing the same cause, to be running after the same thing and at the same pace. And so it's an irreducible minimum that, hey, this person believes in the same God that I do and serves the same God. But then you also want to figure out your pacing to that. If someone's, you know, if, if you're, you're with someone that's like, I'm going to lay down my life that's on the mission field and do, go to the hardest country in the name of Jesus, and the other person's like, I just bought my first Bible, you know, you may not want to try to run that together yet. You know, if, if someone's trying to clock a six-minute mile and the other person just bought their first pair of running shoes, you might not be the right moment to link up your lives forever, just yet. You've got to be discerning. And so I want to chase after the same cause, running the same direction, at the same pace. Um, what does that mean? It means that a lot of um, cute, available, successful humans are going to run right by, but now you've got a sifting mechanism, right? He's going that way, she's going that way, but I know I'm going this way. I know where my path is. I know what my purpose is in life. And so as I do, you know, some people are going to run alongside of me and some people are going to be running in different directions. 
And so it's Abraham saying, don't get a wife for my son among the Canaanites. And some of you may say, well, man, all I'm surrounded by is Canaanites. (laughs) Can I tell you something? That servant, if you read the story, had to walk 500 miles to find this girl. 500 miles. And so some of you may need to walk 500 miles and then walk 500 miles more just to be the man who walked 1,000 miles (laughs) to fall down out her door. (laughs) You might need to be that person. And that's okay. Be willing to move. And not only do you want to go, we're chasing the same cause, but you want to have someone who has a godly character. That they're being shaped by him. Character in the original Greek is the word kerason, which means to etch. That God is etching me into a statue in his own making. That he's taking a scalpel and cutting away what doesn't need to be there and carving into me some of the grooves to make me more into his image. You want someone who is committed to that process. And so this isn't just saying, you know, I have an allegiance to God. They're saying, God is shaping me. He's making me. He's in the process of making me. When someone says that they're a Christian or go to church, that has some value, but you can't always just trust that, right? Listen, to be blunt, there, there have been stories of girls raped by a guy who had a Bible on the coffee table and a fish sticker on his bumper, you know. And so if some guy says he's a believer, don't just buy it offhand. As my friends in Texas say, you can't put a bow tie on a turd uh, with changing it from, from being a turd. It's still a turd. <laughs> you can tweet that if you want. I don't care what the guy puts on. I've watched guys purposely adapt more religious language to hit on Christian girls. You know, they'll all be like, hallelujah, amen. You can't trust that. You want to watch their life. You want to evaluate their life and watch what prompts their decisions. Watch what's driving what they do. Watch their character because you want to be with someone who has a godly character. Why? Because you want the blessing of their wisdom. Think about Psalm chapter one, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams uh, of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Don't you want to be married to a guy who prospers even when life is hard? Right? Well, then watch him. Does his morality fold like a lawn chair in the middle of a business deal that he's willing to sell his integrity for? Watch for that. Do you watch him lie to the people to get ahead? Then be careful. You think he won't lie to you then? Watch for that. Watch him as he's sitting. Is he sitting in the council of the wicked? Is he walking among the scoffers? Then you'd better be careful. Or is he a man that delights in the law of the Lord, living a life of integrity, and that integrity is rooted in something other than you? You don't want to be his source. (laughs) You want him to have a source where he's planted by streams of water, right? Why? So he can bear fruit for you. And, and, and that you're the beneficiary of his wisdom. That's the kind of guy you want. Or men, Proverbs 31 is talking about a godly woman. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is 
vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Guys, you want a woman that fears the Lord. Don't settle for, oh, she works out or she seems cool. No, you want a woman that when she speaks, it's with wisdom. That um, she doesn't use her words to cut you down. That um, she doesn't blow you off, but she presents to you words to help you become a better person. You want to be with someone who's not just looking at her own interests, but as in the scripture here, she looks at everyone under her influence. And she says, how do I conduct myself? How do I use my money? How do I use my energy in a way that the whole household rises? You want a woman like that. You may not get uh, to know that over one day. You may need to watch her in community and say, you know what? When she joins a team, that team elevates to another level. When she is in the circle, they are better because of of her being in there. Her roommates are better. People, as a result of her existence, would be a better person if they get around her. You want to benefit from their wisdom, and you want the peace of their integrity. You want the peace of knowing the person that I'm bound with has a source of integrity outside of me that will call them to be faithful even when I'm failing. You want Brenda Rover. Some of you know the story of Dave Rover. He was a soldier who was injured in the Vietnam War when a phosphorus grenade went off and burned half of his face and half of his body. And Dave tells the story of being in the ICU, watching the man next to him who was similarly injured, watching his fiance walk up to the bed and say, look at you, your embarrassment. I can't be seen with you. She took off her ring and put it on the table and walked out of the room. And so Dave, when he saw that, it terrified him because he saw what a grotesque face, you know, his has become. And he was scared of what his girl would say when she walked in. And and he said when she walked in, she looked down at his face and said, with love in her voice, welcome home. And she gave him a big kiss. That's what you want. You want the person that's going to love you for better or for worse in sickness and in health. You want the peace of their integrity. Right? Ladies, you want to know he's fighting for purity sexually. If he's doing it now as a single guy, you'll know he'll do it when you're married. That you won't have to be nervous when he's gone on a long work trip. You, you want the peace of knowing that my man fights for my holiness, so when he's out of town, I'm not worried about that. I trust him. You want the peace that comes with being married to somebody who has integrity. You won't find that out on one day. And, and you want probably not the best thing to lead with, you know, tell me more about your sexual history and practices either, <laughs> you know. But Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, do not be hasty in the laying out of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pur- pure. And he's talking about when you lay hands on someone and dub them as leader. He says, don't hurry up and call someone a leader. He's saying, some people, their sins are quite evident and they're going before them. Others, their sin follows after. And he says, you know, some people, you knew they were trouble when they walked in, right? So don't marry them. Other people, they present. They look great. They look, you know, like the the, the person that you want them to be. And then after a couple months... Of watching them in community, you go, no, what? He's always demeaning to that, that, the, the wait staff. He, he, he tells people he's going to do something, and then I watch him, and he has no intention of doing it. You know, and I don't know if I can trust his heart. And sometimes it takes months to watch that. So you give yourself time to observe. Are they chasing after the same cause with me? And are they letting God shape their character? You want to make sure that those things are there, right? When Abraham and Isaac um, with them, she uh, not only had to be a believer in God, she had to be willing to walk on the cutting edge of faith alongside with him. So you want the cause, you want the character, and then the last thing on your notes this morning you look for is chemistry. Chemistry matters 
For many of us, we want to lead with that, and it really shouldn't be the lead. You want integrity to be the base, and then chemistry. Do I like hanging out with you, right? That's an important thing. And, and so you can talk to some people in religious circles who are like, will they be faithful unto the Lord, you know, and will they be faithful to me? And that's great, but then what if he bores you to tears, <laughs> Right? So you want, you want the cause, you want the character, and then you want chemistry. Do we enjoy talking to each other? Because let me tell you something, a lot of marriage is just hanging out. <laughs> it is. That's why I encourage people not to expedite sexuality. The Bible is wise instructing you to wait on marriage for that. Some people, their whole dating life is sexual exploration, and they're not even figuring out, do I even like talking to this person? So that's trouble. So you want to pull that back because, listen, the majority of your married life is not having sex. Surprise! <laughs> it's not. It's just doing stuff like reading a book and sitting, sitting on the couch, you know, at night. How'd your day go? It's that kind of stuff. And you want to make sure it's with somebody that's interesting and you like hanging out with. You need to figure out theologically, are we compatible? You know, we're doing the same thing. We're running the same lane. You might have some different definitions of how things work and you're going to want to figure that out. How are you going to raise kids? You know, if one of you is from this more charismatic background, some of you, you know, that, some of that's not going to be a deal breaker, but you, you just got to see how important our guitars and your worship experience, right? How married are you to the pipe organ you know you're gonna have to figure some of that out are you socially compatible do you get along that doesn't mean you do all the same things Deanna and I are very different in a few ways you know I spent a lot of time and money and, and resources learning and studying the Bible in seminary I can dissemble decimate some stuff from scripture but man and, and discernment and wisdom before the Lord and, and really seeing and caring about people she outpaces me day after day and so there's no question about it so you're not looking for someone you know that's the mirror image of you, you're looking for someone who's to, to complement who you are. And so are all of your interests the same? No. When we got married, I was really into music and I would spend hours sequencing tracks and she was really into sports. And so we had to realize that those things weren't deal breakers for us. You know, I can write and do the whole creative process and I'm cool with all the softball games and the tourneys that she likes to play in. And so you're not looking for a mirror image, you're looking for a compliment. Are there some things that we share and there's some things that we, that we don't, but at the end of the day, do we share the big things? And do we, are we running in the same lane? Do we enjoy each other? And are we sharpening each other and making each other better? Do we have a similar feeling and philosophy of where we want to be in life? Where do we want to go? And what are the non-negotiables? And how do we settle on the things that are the deal breakers and the things that aren't? So I want to say this as we close. Some of you, as I'm talking about this, you're thinking, Sean, pursuing a uh, uh, a godly cause and godly character and chemistry that all sounds so good, but you're talking about a unicorn. I've never seen one. <laughs> I've heard of these mystical beasts, but I hear people say that they're real, but where are they? And so where are all the eligible men or women that are date worthy? Can I just say this? I sit with lion faced men all the time in our church. We have guys here that are exactly what I'm talking about right here in the room. So, and we have ladies, it's the same. So don't dismiss that, you know, what we have by saying that there's no good guys out there. There are. And so some people are just so frustrated. There's no good men. Um, part of the problem could be that you're in the wrong place. Some of you, you're looking for a godly woman and you look for a godly man, but you're looking in the right places or crazy places. And so let me just tell you something that we are meant 
to be in community, right? And the church isn't, let me just say this, the church isn't a pickup joint, you know, ring by spring or your money back. It really isn't. Um, that's not why we're here. We're here for one cause and we're chasing after one cause. Jesus is that cause. But as we chase that cause together, we are in community. And so we are mentors, we are mothers, we are fathers, we are brothers, and we are sisters. And we will be people who treat another, one another with love and respect, and we will see people get married in this house. And that's how you want it, that we're going to be all running together towards one cause, and we're going to all be on a journey together. So you want to get involved in community and run with people in the same lane, run after God's cause, and you can trust that you know, the God who loves you and takes care of your eternity will also take care of your present. Amen? Okay. One last thing I want to say. Please stand with me. Back in the day, when captains of ships used to get out on the open seas, they would get stuck in perilous situations. And it was many times, you know, when they were trying to dock onto the shore. And they'd realize, you know, I don't know this area, and there's rocks, and there, there are dangers that could wreck my ship and, um, you know, destroy my life. And in that moment, they had to make a decision as a captain. They can say, well, I don't care. I'm the captain of the ship. I'm just going to keep on going forward. And they could just grip the wheel and just kind of hope for the best and, and steer it where they want and risk running over some rocks um, and sinking their ship, or in humility, they could put up a flag. Some of you know they still use these, use these flags to this day. They would fly a bright red and white flag, and it would communicate to every other boat on the shoreline, I need a pilot. I need a pilot. Somebody that knows the area really, really well, that knows every rock and sandbar underneath the waves. They know all the traps. And when you flew that flag, a pilot would get in their little coracle and they would row out to you and they would get on your boat and they would grab your wheel and you would let that flag down and you put up a different flag that would let the bank, all the people in the bank know, I don't need a pilot, I have a pilot. I'm good now because I know somebody that knows the way. It's interesting, they wrote a hymn back then called Jesus Savior, Pilot Me. And the words are, over life's tempestuous sea, Boisterous waves obey your will when you tell them to be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. And so let me just encourage you. There's more to say about all that we're doing here with relationships, and we'll go into that as we continue this series. But you've got to get a relationship with God right first. Amen. And God's not waiting for you to get your act together. God's actually coming after you. He'll get on board of your boat. He'll take this wheel. But you know, before you come even searching, he's coming for you and he'll get on your ship. Jesus arrived a long time ago and, and he did it for you because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And so if you're in this room and if you've never put your faith in Jesus, he is the scripture calls him. He is the husband. He is the one who came to knit our hearts together with his, and he's the pilot that will guide you through the uncertainties in life, and you can trust him, and I hope that we will. Father God, thank you for your people in this house today. God, thank you for the course that we're running. God, we want to run with people that are running in the same lane as you. No matter what stage or what season we are in life, single, married, we want to be running after you. My life is for your purpose, to love you and to love other people, God. And so, God, open up those doors. Open up those opportunities, God. We first set our focus on you, and then everything else comes after. God, we seek you first, and then all these things will come.
God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your purpose. Thank you for my purpose this morning. God, we just pray a blessing over us as we we leave this room this morning. If there's anybody here this morning with nobody looking around, every eye closed, every head bowed. Um, If if that's you, we're talking about, you know, somebody that's lost at sea in a tumultuous place. You feel like you're the one that's out there in the in the sea lost and about ready to, to wreck your boat. If that's you this morning, yeah, I, I just want to offer Jesus, who is the Son and the Savior, who is the, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the faithful one who's come to be your rescue this morning. If that's you, with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand? If I'm only one looking. It's not here to embarrass you this morning. I want to pray with you and agree with you this morning. All right, can we pray this together, church? Father God, I give you my life. All I am is yours. I surrender. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming to be my rescue. Take my wheel. Steer my ship. You have full authority. I'm following after you. Be the Lord of my life. I surrender. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate. God is good.